0: Alexia Gordon, author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries, published by Henry Press, and the host of the Cozy Corner podcast, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Joining me in the Cozy Corner today is Deborah Goldstein, author of the Sarah Blair Mysteries. Book one in the series, One Taste Too Many, released in January of 2019, and book two, Two Bites Too Many, released in October of 2019. Welcome, Deborah.
1: Hi, thank you for having me today.
0: And can you please introduce us to your Sarah Blair series?
1: Well, Sarah Blair is a very simple series. Um, As you know, it's a cozy, and most cozies take place in a small environment or a small town. I use a small southern town, Wheaton, Alabama, that I've created. I also um, know that most cozies often have cooking, or they have something else that is Um, like craft or something but when I was writing this having been orphaned twice before I decided I wanted to write something that was more like me because I don't like to cook nor do I do crafts too well so I decided to have a protagonist who thinks that cooking from scratch is more frightening than murder She does have a twin sister though, who is an excellent chef, and that that protagonist is Sarah Blair. So anything that has to do with the kitchen scares her tremendously.
0: Uh, and and I was going to ask about that. Uh, the, as you mentioned, your series features twin sisters, one of whom's a gourmet chef, and the other who, well, is not. Uh, and you've kind of alluded to this. So I'm assuming you identify more with Sarah than with Emily.
1: Yes. um, I actually have to laugh if I can tell a little anecdote here. When it comes to cooking, when I was growing up, I have a sister who is an excellent cook, though she's not a twin. But I am a mother of twins, so that's where I kind of steal that concept. But um, when we were growing up, we'd come home in the afternoon. My mother would be making dinner, and she was a very good cook. At 5 o'clock, I would flop on the couch, turn on Perry Mason, at 5.15 during the first commercial, I would go upstairs and my sister would be helping my mother. I would empty the dishwasher and set the table, basically. At 5.30, I'd make sure everything was set. At 5.45, I'd wave hi to my dad as he came in. And 6 o'clock, right after the final scene, is when we would all sit down for dinner. I'm very good at washing pots, but don't ask me to do anything in the kitchen. So, yes, I do identify with Sarah. I give you credit for
0: being good at washing pots I remember. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I I was the cleanup crew. (laughs) My sister was the the cook. (laughs) Very good at it to this day.
0: Now, as you mentioned, your series is set in a small town, uh, Wheaton near Birmingham, Alabama. Yes. Is is Wheaton completely fictional or is it based on a real-life small town?
1: It is fictional in the sense that it does not exist. However, I stole things from other small towns. Many of the small towns in Alabama have white alabaster buildings in them, um, because that's the marble we have here. And I stole from that. Many of them have town squares. I stole from that. But being completely truthful, I stole a lot from a city called Wetumpka, Alabama. Uh, The first time, Alexia, the first time I went out to do a signing for one of my books, it was Maze in Blue, which was an academic mystery and based on the University of Michigan. And I was so excited because they'd invited me to um, Murder on the Magic City and then Merger on the Menu, which was the part in Wetumpka. I'd never been there. I drove in and had this beautiful white steeple church. It had small town, the kind of red brick buildings, the alabaster buildings, the all the little square, everything you wanted to see. Um, I decided to steal it. So I've been working it into my book as I've been going, but uh, but um, I can't put in certain things that are there, but I did steal from, from basics. I think all of us writers tend to do that. Yes.
0: And have, has anyone in uh, was it Wetumpka uh, commented on the similarities?
1: No, they, I think they've enjoyed it. Um, they know that I've put some of the aspects in and I've made it a warm community. The other thing I've done, which is kind of funny, they do a wonderful, as I said, murder on the menu luncheon. And when you're there, they ask you in advance if you'd like to auction off the name of a character. And I did so, I was so excited. This is the first time, you know, when I was there with in Blue, that somebody wanted to buy a character in my book. And she wanted, and she came up to me, introduced herself, we took a picture, She's this delightful woman named Deborah Holt. I was so thrilled. Now I want you to flash forward um, a few months later. I am moderating a panel at Malice Domestic, and I read everybody's book. And I noticed that four or five of the four of the five people had been at this
0: conference
1: a year or two earlier. And I'm sitting there, and I'm reading, and there's Deb Holt, Debbie Holt. Deborah Holt in each of the books. Turns out that she underwrites the um, Friends of the Library by buying almost every author who offers a name. So you will find she has worked into all of my books because she keeps buying my names. Wow.
0: (laughs) uh, Are you from Alabama?
1: I lived in Alabama since 78. I am originally with this accent from New Jersey, modified by Michigan. I grew up um, most of the time in Michigan. And I came to Alabama for a job, figuring I'd be here a couple of years. And as you can tell from what I just indicated, I've been here longer.
0: (laughs) Now, you're a judge in real life. I was.
1: I've now retired from that because I decided to follow my passion. Um, Again... We, if we can diver, um, digress for a moment, I my first book came out. I was on the bench, and the advertising kind of was Judge Wright's book. And a year or two later, I sold my second book, but it wasn't coming out for a year because the publisher who bought it had already filled the next year's calendar. So I'm sitting there, and I'm doing my job on the bench. And I, if you can imagine, I'm 23 years on the bench. I'm. I've got the lawyers trained, so picture me sitting a little higher than you in my black robe, looking very serious, and I would say to the lawyer, is there anything further at the end of a hearing? The lawyer would say no, and I would say something that would be a standard closing. On this particular day, the lawyer who I knew well, I said to him, is there anything further? He said no, but his client said, yes, your honor, there's one more thing. I looked at the attorney and he raised his hands to heaven so I knew he couldn't control his client. I looked to the client and I said yes sir what is it and he replied your honor I just want you to know no matter how you rule I'm gonna buy your book. (laughs) When that happened I said I'm going to go home and we're gonna run numbers tonight because I've got to make a chance choice I've got to either keep my lifetime appointment Or I've got to follow my passion for writing. Um, My husband and I ran the numbers and we decided we could make it work. So I walked in the next morning and announced I'll be leaving in six, seven months whenever I finish my docket. Don't give me any more cases. The guys in my office were, wait a minute, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be busier than I've ever been. And they couldn't believe it because the two to retire before me were 88 and 86. Oh, Wow. I figured if I could stay healthy for 30 years, I could have another whole career. Yeah, and I've been having a ball. I guess you're kind of in the same boat too. You write and you have another career on the side too.
0: I do, but it's it's uh, medical and it's completely unrelated to uh, mysteries. I mean, as as a physician, we try not to kill people, uh, so <laughs> I don't have quite the same worries about conflict of interest. I guess.
1: Well, I try not to kill anybody too except on paper
0: <laughs> now, did you did you draw on your real life legal experience when writing your mystery series?
1: Yes, and no. I've drawn on some of the technical, business, or legal ends to get things right, but I've not used any cases, nor have I used anything that I have handled per se. I just felt that the two had to be separate um, I'm hoping at some point I'll be able to write something using my background but right now I've kind of thought they should be separate and it was kind of easy to go with using my um, lack of cooking experience because you know Sarah is kind of a gal whose idea of good china is floral paper plates.
0: (laughs) Now uh, book two in your series Two Bites Too Many deals with the conflict between residents who want to sort of modernize the small town and rezone residential areas to create an entertainment district uh, versus those who resist the rezoning for fear of uh, the unwanted changes that an entertainment district might bring. Uh, Debates Mm. surrounding things like zoning and urban renewal and gentrification and over-tourism are very real. So how did you decide to address these these serious issues and what challenges did you find in adapting things that are so serious into the cozy format?
1: I think that's first to answer the second part first I think that every cozy if it's a good cozy gives you ideas social issues that make you think unlike some books we don't hit you over the head with it but we work it into the plot or this narrative so that you start thinking about it. Um, my first book had domestic violence. This one, as you said, has economic development. Now, today, I think a lot of towns are changing. And, and I was interested in that because I've seen a lot of Main streets suddenly becoming um, commercial. They're taking these big, beautiful homes in some of the southern towns. They're randomly dividing them into apartments. They're not doing zoning. And things become very uh, quickly um bad. And so I wanted to see both sides, the sides that have ideas for greed, the sides that want to have it zoned right and do it right. And so I have, I've I've tried to present all the sides through all the characters, but making that a subplot to the the murder plot.
0: And both one taste too many and two bites too many do contain recipes at the end and in fine cozy tradition. Uh, being more of the Sarah non-cook uh, personality, how did you develop the recipes? Did you have someone create them for you, or did you develop them yourself?
1: Well, it's a kind of a combination of that too. What happened is I started researching because I was told you must have recipes. I tried to sidestep the issue and I wasn't able to. Um, So I started researching recipes because one can take a recipe changing some of the words and things and recipes aren't copyrighted the way books and things are. And I found there were these wonderful 1953 Jell-O recipes. So I decided that Sarah, she wasn't gonna make anything from scratch that would be difficult. But in the first book, she, there was a pro- problem that she might end up having to do an um, exhibition where she might have to cook if her sister couldn't get, um, she couldn't get her sister off the hook. So I said, hmm, I found the recipe. It was in all the women's magazines in 1953. It was Jell-O in a can. And I decided that would be the kind of recipe Sarah could handle, Jell-O in a can. And it's funny. It just makes me laugh just to think about it. I also used another recipe that I make all the time. Um, so a fr- family friend used to make wonderful spinach pie, but as her shortcut, she told us how to use Stouffer spinach souffle. Well, I immediately took the shortcut and modified it. I added pre-grated cheese like Kraft, gra- pre-sliced mushrooms, make sure they were drained, pre-made um, Uh, dish for the pie itself to sit in and jerky's onion ring type things to put on the top. So everything in it was not from scratch. In the second book, Two Bites Too Many, I have Sarah afraid she's going to have to serve food to people. And so she's desperately trying to find recipes she can serve and make without having to really cook them.
0: Which of the recipes is your favorite?
1: I have to admit it's jell in a can just because it amuses me. I have some things like, you know, quick sweet potato puffs, and I have some wine spritzers in the second book. Um, I created a, a a hotel that I put in Birmingham, and I named it the Halolian, and I have it, a cat, a whole cat motif into it. So I had to make a recipe that I called the catnip wine spritzer. Of course, um, there is no catnip in it, there's just a nip of wine. That's where it gets its name.
0: Now, your books have more than just fun recipes. The culinary world plays a major role. So, How did you research the behind-the-scenes aspects of the fine dining industry and foodie culture?
1: I decided, first of all, Birmingham, Alabama, where I live, has become very, very foody. Um, you have restaurants by Frank Stitt and all of his different disciples have opened restaurants over the last 20 years. And we've really are on the map for food right now. But what I did, since I don't know anything about it is, I eat in all these restaurants. I know many of the chefs. So I started calling each of them and saying, would you mind if I interviewed you? Would you mind if I came in? Would you mind showing me your restaurant and taking me behind the scenes? And they had a blast doing it. They answered my questions. One of my friends in particular, Susan Mason, who has been in a warehouse, she took me through everything and had people showing me. And she took me in at one point and she opened a door into a rather cold room. Everything was very nicely lined up on the shelves and things. And she walked me through it and we walked out the other side. And she said, you've now been through a walk-in, a walk-through freezer. Had it not had a back door, I guess it would have been a walk-in um, <laughs> and that was the kind of thing they showed me the dishwashers you know when when you and I think of a dishwasher off the top of our head, we think of the dishwasher in our kitchen. Well, the dishwasher in a restaurant environment is completely different it it's this big a conveyor belt, a big piece that comes down super hot temperature I mean you know we're talking scalding temperature um, I kept looking at this and all I could think of and she looked in my face and I said she said what are you thinking because I was obviously impressed I said that would be a great place to have legs hanging out of <laughs> I,
0: admit, I was thinking the same thing what a, <laughs> what a great way to kill somebody <laughs> and I think that's
1: where mystery writers I mean um, uh, another another chef in town had a commissary and in this book you have the commissary concept where you take food from a place that is an approved kitchen and they the state law allows it to go to one other kitchen they won't have anything more than a way of heating things up so it's usually the sandwiches and maybe some salads that kind of thing but you know he showed me how it worked he showed me what you had to do and he showed me even the the the, uh, cases you had to have to keep the food at temperature control and do that kind of thing. So I learned a lot. I, I stole one line from another chef here in town who has a great restaurant, food bar, but he was pointing out a chandelier to me over the bar. And we were talking about what you can spend to open a restaurant. Cause some people go super crazy and he pointed to the light fixture and he said, now you could put a thousand dollar fixture there. You could put a $150 fixture there. Both of them might look the same, but on that particular feature, by the time it's a little dark in here and people are, have a drink, are they going to know which is the 150 to the $1,000 light fixture? I, I, I started laughing and, and I worked that comment into my book.
0: <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> now, you've, you also worked uh, Siamese cat and a little, I'm going to guess, terrier uh, dog into your book, A uh, rah and Fluffy.
1: Yes. Um, I, I, I was told when I first started writing Cozies that you needed a cat. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, wow, that's great. Except I know dogs. I don't know cats. So I went and interviewed a, per, a few people, and one in particular, who owned a Siamese cat. And she spent hours with me explaining what her cat does, the behavior, some of the little tricks, And then afterwards, she even sent me a picture of her cat. Um, So when they, I have no say in my cover per se, but when they asked me what I wanted it to look at, I started describing her cat, the coloring, the blue eyes, and they captured it perfectly on the face of One Taste Too Many. But I figured, how many things can I have her cat do? And Ra Ra is a he cat and um, he rules the roost. There's no question about that. But in Two Bites Too Many, I figured, well, I know dogs, so I'm gonna add a dog. And it's kind of meant to be kind of somewhere between a Habanese or a um, Bichon or something. I really didn't make it a specific brand of dog or you know type uh, so much as just a very fluffy dog when they cleaned it up. And I also wanted to show the relationship between the dog and the cat, because in this case, Fluffy is basically subservient to Rara, which I find to be an amusing concept.
0: <laughs> so are you a dog person, a cat person, or just an animal in general person?
1: I like a lot of animals, but I really, you know, have, like I said, we grew up with dogs as opposed to cats, so I'm more familiar with them. And that's why I could steal certain concepts. And I also knew the veterinarian practices better for dogs. Um, I had to, again, go shadow to research to find out more about veterinarians to learn it from both sides, which I found interesting, too, because, again, the treatment and handling of animals is different. Now, are you a dog or a cat person? I, I heard cats in the background.
0: Yes, I have a cat now, but um actually, I am an animal person i i I like them both. um I also like par- pretty much anything as long as it's not covered in scales like a snake, <laughs> uh, but birds, cats, dogs, I like them all.
1: I'm kind of with you on most of that. but as I said, the dog I knew better, so that's why but I'm gonna be keeping both of these in the series because um, I think they're they play off of each other well. And I think they bring out different emotions in different people. I find it very interesting to observe people and how they interact with cats and dogs and other animals as well, but especially cats and dogs, because a lot of people are very definitive. I'm only a cat person. I'm only a dog person, but it also brings out the personality, uh, whether they interact with the animal, whether they get down to its level or whether they shy away from it. So that's what, something I found fun. and. I will keep adding as the books go on.
0: And animal rescue was a big theme in uh, Two Bites Too Many. Is is that something you're going to uh, continue yes. in in all of the all of the books?
1: Yes, I hope to. I think um, rescue animals rescuing animals is a really important aspect. Um, we can, you know, obviously buy pedigrees and stuff, but I hate the idea of killing animals. So. I wanted to put it in here and I'm hoping to build up in the other books. Here we did um, the shelter, we have the parade and all for the um, animals and we have the animal blessing because I um, had seen that and I know how important it is to some owners. Um, but what I want to do down the road we're going to be talking about the no kill shelters and we're going to continue on we always keep trying to keep animals in it and Fluffy in fact. Um, basically is is a is rescued from being on the streets so I wanted to show you know the, the first cat Rara, was rescued from um, hurricane waters but she was loved he was loved immediately Fluffy had a harder time so she has to learn to be loved and I think that's part of the thing of we as humans have to help our animal friends a lot
0: so in future books we can look forward to more animal rescue, more culinary adventures. Uh, can you give us any other hints about what we might find in Sarah Blair number three? Sarah
1: Blair number three, which will be out in September of 2020, is called Three Treats Too Many. And I think um, if you think about motorcycles, veterinarian practices, and much more food, culinary, I think you'll have a good idea of what that's going to be. They've also recently purchased two more books in the series so we know it'll be at least five and um, I'm working on one now where um, we're going to get some more knives and do it.
0: Okay. And so where can readers find the the two books that are currently available, One tastes Too Many and Two Bites Too Many?
1: They're available in online or in stores um almost any any independent can obtain one because they're all you know returnable etc but um kensington distributes through penguin random house so you can get them on amazon you can get them on barnes and noble they're available in ebook form they're available in mass market print um, they're available in audio. All, all my books have been bought for audio at this point. And I know the One Taste Too Many is already out in big print, too. So um, a lot of libraries are carrying that, or if somebody has a visual problem, they can either order a copy um, i swear, or they can ask their library to obtain one. But um, all of the different uh, nuances of where you can buy books will have my series, thank goodness.
0: And where can readers find you on social media?
1: They can find me in a lot of places. They can find me on my um, blog, uh, my, my, excuse me, my website, which is HTTPS, um, colon slash slash www.debrahgoldstein.com. They can also find me, um, on Facebook at, um, facebook.com Deborah H. Goldstein author slash um, I'm on Twitter at, at Deborah H. Goldstein Instagram Deborah dot Goldstein and I'm on bookbub um, www.bookbubcom slash profile slash Deborah H Goldstein I guess I better explain the easy way to find me is with the Deborah H. Goldstein because there are three at least Deborah Goldsteins who write One is a doctor from New York who writes wonderful medical treatises. One is a much younger, blonder um, young woman who writes on text flirting. (laughs) I am not her, but (laughs) that's why. But she owned all the Deborah Goldstein things. So that's why I went to my Deborah H. Goldstein. Uh So I've been having a good time with that.
0: And and I'll post the links uh, in the show notes so to make it easier for people to find the right Deborah. uh,
1: Okay, we appreciate it.
0: And and again, thank you very much for joining me today. I've had a wonderful time chatting with you about your uh, new Sarah Blair mystery series and we look forward to the the further uh, books.
1: Well, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate having your readers listen to me as well
0: and this has been Alexia Gordon author of the Gethsemane Brown Mysteries thank you listeners for joining us in the Cozy Corner part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network until next time goodbye bye